Well, guys, it is great to be with you. Who else is excited that it's December? Yes, right? Finally, we've made it. Uh, find a month that we can find some joy in. It has been long awaiting. I can't believe that we are now officially uh, in December in the first weekend. And we are starting our series called The Table. And obviously, this beautiful table in front of you is really a work of art. Um, but we are going to be talking about significant things that happen around our table. And so this week, I was, uh, I was giving some thought to some of the most significant things that have happened around my table growing up, even going back to my childhood. And one of the things that just makes me laugh, I had an older sister and a younger sister, but my mom had four meals that she would rotate between, you know, every four nights, we had the same four meals, right? And she can make hamburger quiche in lots of different ways. And to this day, I really don't care for hamburger quiche, but man, she can make it a new meal every night. Add a little pepper one night, add a little bacon, and it was a completely different meal, you know, in that moment. But hamburger quiche was always something that we laughed at, uh, me and my sisters and I. Um, I'll never forget one time my mom put a mirror in front of me while I was eating at the kitchen table. And she sent the strong message that, Eric, your manners are so bad. And it is so difficult to sit in front of you while you're eating that we want you to see how obnoxious you are. And so we're going to put a mirror right in front of you. And she was right. It was horrible. And so it actually taught me how to eat with my mouth or chew with my mouth closed. How many of you are part of the Loud Chewer Club? You guys part of the Loud Chewer Club? Yes, I love proud people who are part of the Loud Chewer Club. I'm in the Loud Chewer Club too. And I'll never forget one time I was sitting right here, my dad was sitting right there at the table and I was chewing and my dad finally looked up and he said, son, I can't stand sitting at this table with you. I'm like, what What did I do? He said, you chew so loud. He says, matter of fact, I want you to go in the dining room all by yourself. Chew in there. The dining room was the dark room nobody ever went into. And uh, so I knew he was pretty ticked off at me. Bless my mom's heart. She followed me in there because she felt bad for me. Here I am taking my meal off to the dining room and uh, eating by myself. Uh, remember that around the table. I remember the rules around the table. Elbows, manners, chewing with your mouth. Closed. I remember the two bite rule. You, you guys remember that uh, with your parents? They would put something in front of you and they'd just say, Look, just take two bites. You don't have to eat everything. Or maybe your parents forced you to eat everything. I, I, I don't know. But I remember my parents just take two bites. That's all you have to do. If you don't want the rest of it, we'll throw it out, give it to the dogs, get uh, whatever, but just two bites. I did my homework at our table. I'll never forget the actual placemats that my mom had. I can remember their color to this day, the things that you remember from your childhood. And we, I remember my algebra books and drinks and snacks and all over my kitchen table because that's where I did my homework. I remember when I got in trouble, my mom would always say, oh, we're going to talk about this at the dinner table tonight which I was like, oh joy, now my sisters get to hear all the stupid things I did. And then my, my dad's gonna be brought into the conversation and then the grounding's gonna come. And that was always something that happened at the kitchen table as well. Um, I'll never forget the time I was eight years old and I learned that my grandfather had passed away. And I was sitting at our kitchen table 
And I remember my grandfather used to ride me around on his John Deere tractor and as he would cut his backyard and had a wonderful relationship. I was only, you know, I was eight years old when he passed away, but I remember sitting at that table for the first time experiencing grief. I'd never experienced that before. I'd never lost anybody in my family before. I remember sitting there and watching my father cry for the first time. I'd never seen him cry before. I'd never seen my dad show that kind of emotion. I don't know if you've seen that, but that was the first time. And I was like, wow, men showing emotion, was, that was new. That was different uh, for me at that time. Um, I remember being around the table when my older sister shared with Krishna and I that she was getting a divorce. And I remember being so just disappointed and so hurt for her because I knew what her life was going to be like uh, from that moment forward in the uphill struggle that she was going to be as a single mom with, uh, I think, four children at the time. They were all young. And it just was like, oh, you know, those things you remember around the table. I remember my 18th birthday around our table. And I remember how special I felt. And I remember the gifts. And I remember the, those moments that were just awesome and that were fun and the birthday parties that we celebrated. And finally, um, I'll never forget the moment. Uh, I was a senior in college. And Krisha and I had met uh, two weeks before that. And uh, so we were at her parents' house, and they had this round kitchen table. And I remember uh, we had our school books out in front of us, and we were studying and doing some things. And I remember it hit me that this was the woman that I was going to spend the rest of my life with at that table. And so that promise of love and that promise of a future and that promise of hope uh, it all signifies the fact that so many powerful things happen around a table like this in our home. And I, you know, I, I obviously recognize that, you know, times are a little bit different right now, but the table symbolizes so many powerful moments in our life. And I feel like the table represents value and connection. It represents value and connection. Think about the people that come to your table. The people that come to your table, you value them. That's why they're there. And think about the people that don't come to your table. <laughs> Vice, yeah, you know, you may not value them, right? So the people that come to your table are the people that you actually value and you want a part of your life. That personal proximity communicates intimacy. It communicates it's personal. It communicates you want to be with them and you value them, right? It also communicates connection. When somebody comes to your table or when you're at their table, the goal of that time is connection. And I feel this when I'm uh, with my family. You know, we talk about serious stuff and we talk about funny stuff. And the beautiful thing about food is it kind of breaks down barriers. And it doesn't feel so stiff and stuffy like a meeting, but food just kind of relaxes people around the table. And you can talk about all different kinds of things. And that's the beautiful part of connection. I remember the thing that scared me the most when I was in a public middle school in Malden, South Carolina. And I remember I was in this massive middle school because they bust us across town. And, and I'll never forget... Um, <clears throat> As I would walk through the lunch line and I would get my tray, 
After I got all my food, I would walk out of the area where they serve food into the enormous cafeteria and be like, who am I going to sit with? Like, some of you are much cooler than me, and you never had that problem. But, but I'm thinking, are you, who am I going to sit with in, in this moment? Because I had this fear of, am I going to sit by myself? Am I going to be isolated? Am I going to have anybody to connect with? The table represents connection. And obviously, I said this just a second ago, but with COVID, you know, the obvious disclaimer is our tables probably feel a little bit smaller right now just because we're not able to invite a lot of the people that may, maybe we typically do uh, when, when things are more normal. But here's what we know that Jesus said, this too shall pass, right? There'll be a time when we can open up our homes again. There'll be a time when the sanctions are lifted or the craziness is gone and we'll be able to be gathering with one another again. But what I wanna talk about for these next few minutes that we're together is I wanna talk about how Jesus used the table with other people. Because I feel like the, the strategic way that he used the table is something that we can learn for how we can use it in our life. So we start our story. This, this story was written by Matthew. Matthew was a, a disciple turned apostle. Um, he was a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Jesus walked by his tax collecting booth one day and said, hey, Matthew, I want you to follow me and be my disciple. Matthew said, okay. And so if you know anything about Matthew, Matthew worked for Rome and he taxed his own people, simply extortion, forcing them to pay higher taxes than they should have paid. So it would be like, you know, working for another country, being American and placing a higher tax on just because my fellow Americans, that you, you know, that's, that's not really a nice life if you want to be accepted into the neighborhood, right? It's not really a good thing. So the only friends he had were tax collectors. Nobody else wanted to be around him because he was considered a traitor by his own people. Interesting that Jesus asked him to follow him. So Matthew says yes, and that evening, we, we pick up the story here, and here's what Matthew does in response to Jesus asking him to follow him. He says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors, and I love what he writes here, and other disreputable sinners. I mean, that's a pretty strong word, disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, the people that were uh, responsible for upholding the Jewish religious law, when the Pharisees asked, saw this, they asked his disciples. Notice they didn't ask Jesus. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher, not our teacher, why does your teacher, and notice the next word he uses, eat. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, notice that, notice that in the Pharisees' mind, Jesus crossed an invisible line in their culture that they felt he should never have crossed. In the Pharisees' mind, he said, hey, it's okay to meet in a building or on the street corner or walk in the, you know, in the cool of the day or whatever, but whoa, 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 whoa. You went and ate. In other words, it became personal. It became intimate. You crossed 
a line, Jesus, and you know better than to cross that line, right? And notice he said, not only did you eat, you crossed an invisible line that you shouldn't have, but you're eating with, and they called them scum. Now, how bad off do you have to be to you get to the point in your life where you're actually calling people scum, okay? So when Jesus hears this, because maybe he has bionic ears, maybe he was five feet away, who knows? He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. He is starting to teach the Pharisees in front of other people, essentially calling them out. And he's saying, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I'm going to give you a little action step, Pharisees. Here we go. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to show mercy to people, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And here's the bottom line for this whole message. Here's what I feel like Jesus wants us to leave with today. Jesus used the table to show value. He used the table to show value. And here's where we, we learn this. He's essentially saying, hey, if you feel spiritually empty, bankrupt, broken, or hungry, you're invited into my presence. That's what he's saying. If you feel spiritually broken, bankrupt, or spiritually hungry, you are invited into my presence. And he communicated value, and we learn this too, you communicate value with people one conversation at a time. That's how it happens with your friends, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your supervisor, with your employees, with your cousins, with whoever. We communicate value to people one conversation at a time. The other thing I recognize about Matthew is Matthew's a publican, he's a tax collector. And I just have this sense that if I were working the kind of job where I took advantage of my fellow Americans, I would probably go home every night feeling pretty crummy about myself. Like if I knew I was going to bed every night going, man, took advantage of those people today, really stuck it to them, and they're my own people, I probably wouldn't feel that good about myself much more I would probably feel that God was probably a little unapproachable to me because I had crossed maybe some lines that I shouldn't have crossed. And here's what's interesting. Matthew, he feels no judgment from Jesus and his disciples coming to dinner with him. None. He's like, as a matter of fact, y'all come. He feels absolute no judgment. He's just thrilled by the fact that he can follow them. He can follow this new teacher. 
Yo, I gotta be honest. Sometimes I have lunch with people and it's about 20 minutes into the conversation and they've had some creative language with me and I, then I tell them I'm a pastor and it's like listening to a UPS truck back up for about a mile. And it's like beep, beep, beep all going down the road. And I'm like, listen, I'm just God, I'm just human. Like, yeah, you know, don't, it, 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 it is what it is. It's the world we live in. But Matthew and his crowd felt no judgment from Jesus. No judgment. And uh, this, this is another thing that I love about what Jesus did in this story is Jesus was willing to be misunderstood. I remember when I first started following Jesus, uh, when I went into uh, my senior year of high school and into college, and I remember being misunderstood. I remember being called names. I remember friends not knowing how to talk to me anymore. I remember relatives saying I was brainwashed. Um, I remember people misunderstanding me and my... um, calling and my love for the Lord and what he had done in my life. And I was just so glad that I could trade in my trash lifestyle. And he gave me grace and love in spite in the midst of that. And I remember as an early Christ follower and now into, you know, the other things that I'm involved in that there are oftentimes we're going to be misunderstood. And the question that I want to ask you is make sure you're okay with who is misunderstanding you. Some groups, you know, it's probably okay that they misunderstand you. Sometimes we just don't need to spend the extra time trying to clarify. We just don't. They're never going to get it. They're never going to understand. But I want to tell you right now, if you're following Jesus, there's going to be some point in your life where you're going to be misunderstood. Jesus was. And, And it's interesting that he wasn't really concerned about guilt by association. The people more concerned about Jesus' reputation were the Pharisees not Jesus. And the, and the virus that they had was called pride. You eat with scum. That was the issue that they had. So I just want to challenge you as a Christ follower, just kind of a, you know, a, a part of this whole story is the fact that if Jesus was under, misunderstood, so will you be. And we are going to have to develop some tough and thick skin in the midst of that. It is what it is, Right? So, the point of all this is Jesus showed value to other people at a table. He used a table to show value. I want to spend the next uh, 14 minutes together, and I want to talk about how we can show value to the people in our life around our table because you can't add value to people unless you value people. You just can't. So I want to talk about how we can use our table to show value to people. So first thing that I want to suggest, uh, and this is from some experience that I've had and, and, and I've watched work over the years and I've made a lot of blunders and mistakes and I've learned from my wife on how to do this in some healthy and some good ways. But first of all, if you want to use your table to value people, first of all, know your audience. You need to know your audience it's a different ball game if you've got toddlers at the table or teenagers at the table or grown children at the table or your dog at the table. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a different audience, right? And so you've got to know your audience. 
And if you're trying to use, use your table to show value, the more that you know who's there, you know what kind of approach to take with people. And approach makes all the difference. So know your audience. Jesus did this. When, when, when people read his table, now granted he is God, but he knew the things to talk about to engage them in conversation that would relate to them. He knew his audience. So I want to challenge you as you are considering opening up your table and showing value to people in your life, know the audience coming to your table so that you know the kind of approach to take to be, to be able to relate to them and show them value. Second thing is set your expectations at your table. I am blown away at how many of us have zero expectation of what we want our, our table to look like for our family and friends and what kind of meaningful conversation we want to happen. And just because you've communicated doesn't mean you've connected. And, and for some of us, we may need to shift from being in front of the TV and we may need to pull the family back together and around the table. And I got to brag on my wife for a second. About eight weeks ago, she came up with this great idea. We're going to start a new expectation. We're, and we have older children now, but she said, we're, we're going to get our, older, our two older boys and every Sunday night, we're going to get around the table together and we're just going to talk and we're going to have fun and we're going to ask open-ended questions and we're not going to say, did you go to work today? Or what, it's, what's the most significant thing that happened at work today? That's a different question. And we're going to empathize. We're going to listen. We're going to help them find a place where they feel like they belong at this table. And you can always tell when people feel comfortable and they're connecting because they don't want to leave. Now, personally speaking, I have a little bit of an issue with this because my, my personal proclivity is to ask very strong, intense, probing questions because that's what I do for a living. And so it's natural for me to do that. Christian's like, Eric, you got to shut that down. <laughs> Don't be you when the family comes over. Uh, we, we, we need you to be somebody else. So what I've learned is because I'm naturally kind of that more intense, let's talk about deep things and you know, that kind of thing. I've learned that the best way for me to connect with my family is, is over humor. So last Sunday night, we're sitting around my, my table and I just think that it's... I just think that it's worth considering, and I threw this out to my family. I just said, hey, guys, I'm thinking about growing a mullet. <laughs> and I just want to know what you think about that. And my oldest son was like, dad, you do you. He's <laughs> like, yeah, you do you. My wife and my youngest were like, no, no, that's ugly, dad. You'll look bad, and you'll embarrass us, the family, so don't, don't, don't do that. But that's, those are the kind of conversations, whether it's serious or whether it's funny, I try to lighten the mood because I know I'm, I can go the other way real quick. So find ways that help your family do that and set the expectation that when you come together around your table, hey, I don't care what your parents did. I don't care what your grandparents did. I don't care what your neighbors do and your best friends. You make your table the way you want it to be. And you have the opportunity to set, set those expectations. Number three, create new rules. This is what Jesus did. I a new command that I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus was very clear. New command. I want to challenge you as you are thinking about your table to create new rules. 
hey, whatever we've done in the past, finding fault and picking on and sarcasm and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying there's not a place for that anymore, but, you know, using the tables at teaching time. All right, kids, here's the three things you need to know to be successful. You know, let's find some new rules. And instead of, you know, don't chew with your mouth open and don't put your elbows on the table, although those are nice and we need to learn how to be civilized people at the table. What if kindness, encouragement, and humor were the new rules of the table? What if we stopped hitting people's weaknesses in places where they felt vulnerable? And we started appreciating people and we were kind and we were encouraging and we were uplifting and we found ways to laugh at sometimes the most horrendous and difficult things of life. Because let's just be honest, if we don't laugh, we will cry. What if those were the new rules? And for some of us, we may need to have a conversation with somebody in our family say, hey, listen, the rules have changed. Well, I don't like those rules. Well, (laughs) we need to have a conversation. You may need to play the quiet game for a while at the table. We're going to start a new game. I love this quote that I I, I saw this week. A friend shared this with me by Nona Jones. And she said, just because they're in the theater of your life doesn't mean they deserve a front row seat. How many people have we given a front row seat to our life that um, maybe don't need to be in the front row? Create new rules for your table. This is your table. Make it what you want it and how God can use it. Next, Um, clarify or carefully choose topics at your table. Okay, so carefully choose topics at your table. One of the things you probably don't want to bring up is politics, right? You probably don't want to bring up politics at your table, but here's what you do want to do. You want to find common ground with people. If I'm meeting with people who like the NFL, I'm probably going to talk about how the Steelers are undefeated, right? (laughs) We got a proud Steeler fan in the group. Right? If I'm if I'm meeting with people who like music, I'm probably gonna find a way to talk about music and art. If I'm meeting with people who like fashion, hey, you know, tell me, tell me what you're into, tell me what looks good, what do I need to know to help me? You know, find common ground with people because when you can find common ground, when you're wise and selective about what you ask, you build rapport. And when we're in rapport with people, we feel a connection. And when we feel a connection with, the, with people, we feel accepted. And when we feel accepted by people, we have common ground. And that's what you want people to feel at your table as you're trying to show them value. And finally, I would say, uh, who needs to be invited? to your table? Who needs to be invited to your table? About 10 years ago, uh, my wonderful in-law, Steve and Jeanette, uh, live in Charlotte. And Krish and I and our two boys would often go down to visit with them at uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Mother's Day. Father's Day, and we would do the typical things. And then all of a sudden, 
one day there was somebody that was new to the, uh, you know, in the, in the living room. We showed up at, the, at a family event and there was somebody new in the living room that wasn't family. Her name was Dr. Pat. And I remember feeling a little weird because it was like, okay, you know what it's like to get together as your family, but all of a sudden there's a stranger in the room that you don't know? And the backstory is my uh, father-in-law, he was a pastor of a church in Charlotte, and they would watch Dr. Pat come to church every Sunday, and she really didn't have any friends. She really didn't have any connections. She lived by herself with her 11 cats. She, she, uh, she would come to church by herself. She would leave church by herself, and they just noticed that she's just kind of on the fringe, and she just didn't have anybody. Well, they begin to strategically reach out to her and say, you know what? We want to open our table to you and we want to give you a place with us because you need a family. And I remember initially going, man, it just feels kind of weird to have company from the outside at our, at our family events. And then I began to notice the difference that it made in her life, just watching her there, being able to interact with us as we would joke, as we would eat, as we would laugh. And I would watch her face light up because she was brought into a family. Now she passed on, but here's what that taught me. It taught me a few years later that when my oldest child went to college in Winston that uh, a lot of his friends were from out of state. They couldn't travel home to uh, the uh, states away for holidays, for Thanksgiving, for Mother's Day, for those types of things. And what Christ and I learned to do is we said, you know what, we're going to take a page from, uh, from them and we're going to find us a Dr. Pat and we're going to figure out how we can open our table to show value to people that are way different than us. And the goal of them coming to our home and we had to like put tables together and settings and buy a bunch of food, but it, it wasn't there to find out their political leanings or share the gospel or tell them that they were. It was, we just want you at our table because we want you to feel like a family. And it changed our family. So much so that we, we walked away from that experience thinking to ourselves, we want a table that our children will come back to even when they don't have to. And that's what was left from that experience. We want to be the kind of parents that our children will come back to our table even when they don't have to. See, I'm probably guessing there's somebody in this room that probably would not care to go back and spend a moment dining with somebody in your family. And I just want to challenge you that Jesus has invited us 
into this relationship where he essentially is saying, I love you. I died on the cross for you. I rose from the grave for you to establish a relationship. And I'm inviting you to my table. I'm inviting you from your isolation and your pain to a family, to a spiritual family of a place that's connect, where I want you to experience connection and family because I love you. And I want to show how much I value you. And the invitation is for you to come sit at my table. That's one part of the invitation that Jesus is calling all of us to this morning. The second invitation that I think he's calling us to is some of you know the Lord. Some of you know Christ. You have a personal relationship. And what he's asking of you today is who is your Dr. Pat? Who's on the fringe of your life that feels disconnected? Who doesn't feel like they have a place? And how could you invite them to be a part of your... You're not taking them to raise. (laughs) But in this season of your life, God could use your table, your family, to make them feel valued. Because after all, you can't add value to people if you don't value people. How grateful, grateful, grateful we all are that Jesus has invited us to his table. And I pray that that love lesson and I pray that that message will resonate so strongly and you will figure out how to use your table to show value to somebody in your life that will leave a lasting impression. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the symbolism of this table. It reminds us, God, that you crossed a lot of lines. You crossed a lot of invisible lines. You were willing to be misunderstood. You put your reputation on the line. You did all the things that demonstrated love for us, and now you invite us to your table for connection because you value us and you love us. I pray for those watching online and here and in Oak Ridge under the sound of my voice that if they've never, if friends that are watching have never received you as their Savior and accepted the invitation to come to your table, I pray that they would do that today. And the other challenge that I pray that we would all embrace is to open our eyes to the Dr. Pats in our life that have no one. And God, you can use our family to encourage and inspire and show value to these wonderful, wonderful people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.